Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalan Johnson. My guest today is Phil Treber. Phil is a licensed mental health counselor, a national certified counselor, a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional, a certified master's level addictions professional, has a master's in clinical mental health counseling, and is the founder of Dude Breathe Counseling, a private group practice dedicated to addressing men's mental health issues. Phil has devoted significant time and effort over the past three years to studying men's psychology and his ultimate goal is to spread accurate information about men's health struggles, break down stigmas, and encourage men to seek the help they need to overcome their challenges. Mm. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, any type of opportunity I get to speak about men's issues and get this stuff out there, I'm like all about it. Like, let's get it. We need more here, of that bro. conversation out there. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave a brief introduction, but so that the audience can get to know you a little bit better. Can you give us a little bit of background about how you got to who and where you are today? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, you read all my different credentials, you know, but then also I'm a human being and a man, you know, like one Mm. thing that I'm really open about is that I'm a person in long-term recovery, right? I'm actually, today's my anniversary date. I celebrate eight years of sobriety today. Um, And a big aspect of that and the reason why I got into this work was because of my own journey. Right. I really had to navigate a lot of these masculinity issues and figuring out like, well, I have all these feelings inside. I have all these physical sensations, this experience. But what do I do with it? You know, like I you know, learned to really deal with a lot of the heavier things by using substances to push it down. And it didn't work. Right. Well, it worked really, really well for a long time. But then it's a double edged sword that comes back and gets you and it stops really working that way. You know, so part of my journey into being, you know, the clinician that I am today and doing the work that I do is through my own personal experience. And one of the things that I noticed in the field um, was that, like, of course, I had stellar clinicians. I had stellar clinicians that really helped me get to a place where I could really start to do some of that deeper work on myself. But one of the things that I noticed within the field is that there were not really many clinicians who were knowledgeable about men. You know, I just did a a three-hour CE talk at Lynn University down here in Boca uh, Raton, Florida, and I was joking with some of the actual professors um, who were my professors and my academic people when I went through, and I was talking about like, yeah, like, hey, guys, I just want to get this out there. Uh, I'm going to mention something about the lines of, hey, you don't teach this in school, and then one of my professors was like, well, 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 well. We just added a major component to the sociocultural class on men. I was like, great, right? So part of my own development was getting to this point of realizing like, hey, this is a massive population that is not being served. No one truly understands the unique clinical and developmental and societal pressures on us as men. You know, we're seen just like, you know, hey, they're the problem, figure it out type idea. There's all these other groups that really need to be focused on. And I said, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dedicate and, you know, my life's work, my passion to, you know, studying men's issues, 
breaking these stigmas, getting more men into therapy, which is something that is a massive component of it, of our developments of navigating life, right? So it was really my own personal journey of trying to figure out who I was at, you know, starting 28 years old when I finally put down the substances and then have to navigate life with all of this, these feelings, these emotions, these difficulties. And I had to kind of do it on my own, right? I really had to navigate a lot of these heavier topics on my own, you know, with the help of therapists, but they didn't really understand the men's side of it. So that's kind of a little bit of a snapshot of why I got into this work. And since I've been doing this work, my practice has been growing. So many people are like, hey, great name for a practice. You know, like, oh my God, we need this so desperately. And most of the people that I hear that from are female clinicians, right? They're like, oh, thank God. And then a lot of them come up to me after I speak or at a networking event. And they're like, my, my, my boyfriend, my husband, like my, my son, like might, I might want to have them come see you. And I'm like, cool, run it. Because there's no one else really doing it. Hmm. Thank you there, bro. Um, thank yeah, you absolutely. for what you do as well, for, for being yeah. a resource for, for men. Because like you said, it's not something that is popular or sexy. Like we were talking before we started recording, like, you know, there's so many things about our lives and, and social media that just aren't real. And when it comes to conversations about the deep things, we run from them, um, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, I know I did personally. And, of course. you know, for you to say that today is your, your anniversary of being, you know, eight years, that that's big, bro. That's big. And, yeah. I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're willing to talk about it because mm -hmm. someone else who may be struggling may hear that and they may hear it from you, someone they can relate to and say, you know what, if he can do it, then, you know, I can do it. Maybe I'll start or just shifting the, the mindset about why we're doing the things that we're doing and the fact that, you know, there's some hurt or pain behind it, which is the real reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the entire basis of 12 step programs is the fact that like, you know, everyone, you know, thinks that we, we pick up um, the medallions or key tags, right. To say one year, two year, six months of, you know, sobriety or clean time, depending on the fellowship. Um, but it's not for us, right. It's for the other people in the room who might have a week, a month, who might still be high or drunk in that meeting, which is perfectly okay. They're in the right place. But I remember I was probably around three or four years and uh, my sponsor at the time, you know, was asking me when I was going to pick up my coin. And uh, I said, I don't know if I'm going to pick up this year. And he destroyed me, right? That how selfish I was, how self-centered I was. Because again, he's like, dude, it's not about you, right? My medallions, I collect them, sure, but I give them to my mother because she's one of the people that I harmed the most throughout my years. They're the people that are there to support me. Right. So that's the whole idea of being open about these things is so that if there is somebody listening or if there is someone out there in social media who sees me post on my professional page, like, hey, eight years, something like that. Right. Is that like, oh, yeah, maybe it is possible because it absolutely is. There is a solution. Right. We have one may not be fun and super sexy. But there's something that millions upon millions upon millions of other people have done before 
that have been exactly where that individual might be and where I was at one time. So now it's like in my professional setting, yeah, I'm not sponsoring guys. I'm not taking them through, you know, the work, so to say, but I can actually say like, yeah, like I tell it to my guys. They're like, Hey man, I'm having difficulty putting it down. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it intimately. Right. I know what this is like. And then be able to guide them and put their hands into other people who can really do some of that deeper, you know, recovery work with them on top of being supported by me. Right. And that's one of the greatest joys that I have is being on that dark side for so many years, struggling with my feelings, my emotions, expressing them, being able to get vulnerable, all of these components that men really struggle with. Now that I'm on the other side, I feel that not only is it my life passion, but that it's also like kind of the Japanese phrase of my ikigai, right? Which is like the combination of what I'm good at, what I'm passionate about, and what you can get paid for, right? Mm. With my 12-step work, my professional work in my setting here, these are all things that I can merge together and feel like I'm not coming to work, right? I come in and I got eight sessions back-to-back with guys. I'm kicking it. We're talking we're busting chops, right? And getting into the real nitty gritty of this stuff. And it's nothing but a gift and an absolute pleasure to be able to do this stuff. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be possible if there weren't there people there for me in the beginning who said like, yeah, dude, I get it. Come, come do what we did. It's going to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you're just passing it forward, so to speak. Trying to. Or paying it forward. Yeah. Paying it forward. Yep. Um, no, I think you are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are. <laughs> I like to believe um, it, man. Sometimes I sit down in session with guys <laughs> and we're struggling and I'm struggling. And then I, you know, speaking about my own vulnerabilities as a clinician, you know, there's times where like I have to be real with guys and be like, listen, man, like I've been, you know, trying to help you attack this problem for, you know, a couple months now. Right. I don't feel like I'm being effective. Right. The thing, the suggestions that I've given you haven't been able to help. Right. Maybe we need to pivot. Maybe we need to bring in an expert. Right. When it comes to like sex addiction or gambling or eating disorders. Right. Because eating disorders are huge with men, specifically within the body dysmorphia and the bodybuilding. community. Most people don't realize that. But the highest rates of body dysmorphia, you know, body, um, I think it's called muscularity, dysphoria, as well as eating disorders are in the fitness community. But when I feel like, hey, I'm not hitting this, right? All the, you know, the trainings and tools that I have personally are not working. Yeah, man, let's bring in somebody who can help. And it's vulnerable in those moments because these guys are paying me to be the expert, which I am on a lot of things. But then for me to be able to like admit to them, like, hey, man, I don't think I'm helping you. I think we need a little bit of help here. It's vulnerable. My ego wants to fight back on that, right? Like, oh, I'll just read another book or I'll just do this. I'll just do this. But then can honestly say that I'm you not know, doing any harm and I'm actually being mostly like really effective in my job, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, yeah. And I think that yeah. I would appreciate that if, if I'm, cause it's, it takes a certain level of vulnerability to start therapy, to be able to talk to someone about all the things that you're ashamed of and all the things that you hide. Mm-hmm. And if you get to a point where you're comfortable and that person that you trust is willing to put his or her ego aside and say, Hey, listen, like you said, like 
I don't think I'm doing enough here. Let me bring somebody else in. That would make me trust you so much more mm-hmm. because I know that you're willing to step aside for me. And it's not about, because a lot, some people would say, you know what? If I can't help him, he's the problem or she's the problem. But for you to be willing to say, listen, to look at things from a clear lens and say, maybe it's me. Let me try something else. That means you're advocating for your client at all costs. Mm -hmm. But there are times where I fail at that, right? Because I was, as you were saying that, right? Like, I don't want it to be perceived that I'm this pillar of vulnerability and I'm practicing perfectly all the time, right? Because I was, as you were saying that, I was reflecting on the idea of, let's say, you know, I have a guy who's struggling in his relationship, right? And then I have my clinical conceptualization. I have my idea why it might be struggling, or it goes back to his attachment issues or his relationship with his mother or father or the relationship that was modeled for him when he was younger. And I start going along one of those threads, right? There's been times, even recently, where I become entrenched in that thread and they push back on it, right? They're like, yeah, man, I don't think that's it. And I'm like, nah, man, I think that's it. Like, let's explore that a little bit more. And then they actually give me like really good reasons of why that's not the right thread to be pulling on in this sweater, so to say. And even in the moment, I have the realization that they are right. There's been times where I'll stick to my guns, right? Because it's either ego or I think that they might be being resistant to the idea because it's something touchy. And then they leave for the session. I reflect on it. Wrong thread, right? And then come back into session. And that's where that comes in and be like, hey, man, I I want to apologize to you, right? Like I was pulling on that thread. I was really entrenched in it. I got caught up in my own self stuff, right? I was being a little bit biased because I think it's really the attachment or X, Y, or Z. I want to apologize for that, right? And some guys are like, yeah, I knew I was right. And then I still have to eat some more Right. And some guys, like you said, are like, hey, man, I appreciate you saying that, man. I wasn't happy after last session. I thought you, you know, I really felt in my gut that you were on the wrong thread there. So it can go either ways. Like some guys throw it back in my face, you know, when their ego or their like need to be right comes up and stuff. But again, it's like I have to be able to do that, even though it can be uncomfortable at times. But then also, even in the moment, having the awareness that I'm on the wrong track. And then still sticking to my guns, right? Because I'm human. I'm flawed, right? right? Exactly. And still trying to right that wrong and clean up my side of the street like when I can. And sometimes I'm really good about it. And sometimes, you know, there's stuff that I think about over the past four or five years of being a clinician that I'm like, oh, that still doesn't feel good, right? Especially when I was starting, right? right. So it was uh, yeah. well, a little bit too I think confident. your awareness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's natural. Like you said, you're human, but you have the awareness. And I think with awareness, there's always room for growth. And mm-hmm. you're working with guys who are trying to get better. So there's going to be that push-pull. Um, but, I, I mean, I think as long as your goal is always to have your client's best interest, it should be good. And I think your yeah. clients will, will probably see that and recognize it too. And it's also about the modeling, right? I can show mm-hmm. them what a man looks like to admit fault, admit wrong, and yes. take it somewhat gracefully, 
like I said, better at sometimes, better not at other times. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a yeah, lot of the work are. that I do is really modeling, you know, what it looks like to communicate and do things differently. You know, it's a big, big component of the work. Yeah. I want to ask you a personal question because um, you said it's been eight years now that you've, you know, been sober. And mm-hmm. I think you said 28 was when you, you recognized that you needed. Oh, no, I recognized it a hell of a lot sooner than that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, okay, think so- I knew it. I knew that I had a problem in college, right? I mean, even if I, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things is said that, again, I'm not going to identify which program I'm, or, you know, uh, fellowship I'm a part of, but one of the things you say, like, I was born an alcoholic. I was born an addict, right? And I know that, you know, from a neurogenetic uh, and from a neuropsychological standpoint, we do know that there are specific genetic components to addiction, right? But then it's also environmental factors and it can come down to like, it wasn't the chicken or the egg. But I mean, I recognized pretty early that I was just uncomfortable in my own skin. And then once I started to find things, even before I got the substances that could help me feel differently or help me to get out of myself, I would latch onto them pretty well. So I identified that I had a substance abuse problem in college, but I wore it as like a badge of honor. Like, you know, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is the jam. This is my solution kind of thing. But then I, I've relapsed a lot over the years. Um, multiple treatment centers, detoxes, detoxing on the couch. And then it wasn't until like I was a little bit older around the age of 28. Um, my sobriety date is November 3rd, 2005. No, 15, excuse me. That would have been way more than eight years. Um, I, uh, I finally said like I was done. You know, I'd been in treatment before. I had worked uh, somewhat of a 12-step program, but this time I really put my all into it. And who would have thought that if I just followed the suggestions and did the work, that I would be here. You know, I thought I was different. I thought I was special. It's not going to work for me. You know, we hear that all the time, right? If, the you time. Had, if you had my problems, you know, it wouldn't work for you either. And it's like, we're like, yeah, okay, come on, have a seat, <laughs> have a cup of coffee. So let me ask seat. you this then. Yeah. Let me ask you this then. What were your problems? Like what, what was life like growing up for you? What, what did mental health look like for you and your family system and in your family dynamic coming up? Sure. That's a great question. You know, for me, it was, you know, I, my parents are still together today. I was raised in a very fortunate home no significant big T traumas, as we like to say, you know, the big T traumas are the physical, sexual abuse, um, all the big ones, right? But little T traumas are much more of the emotional side, right? And I think that it was like, I didn't have anything significant or major. I just, from a big, the beginning, I never felt comfortable in my own skin, right? I was always racked with anxiety and I always had these big feelings. I was always a sensitive little guy, right? It always was. And I didn't know what to do with it because, you know, my, my father didn't really know how to raise me. Right. I wasn't the star athlete. I wasn't like him and the rest of his brothers were. So he really didn't know what to do with it. So I was really like raised, like I was getting the message from society, team sports, just the world and peers that like, Hey, like this is what a man is. And that's what we call the boy code. 
right? Which is written nowhere, understood everywhere, as uh, Pollock likes to say. He's one of the researchers. Um, but that we need to be stable, stoic, independent, aggressive, assertive, strong on or off the playing field. But most importantly and most detrimental to us is this idea that we cannot show emotion. We cannot show vulnerability. Because if we do, we will be ostracized outside of that boy box or the boy code. So I always had that, that much more what we call the feminine side. There's nothing to do with sex or gender, just what we deem as feminine, which is feelings and emotions, compassion, vulnerability, right? Sensitivity. I always had that inside. I just didn't know what to do with it, right? And it, it manifested itself in anxiety or, you know, having my feelings hurt and not really knowing to do with these things. So I was always raised with like a lot of these strong women in my life that says like, no, feel them, express them, et cetera. But it was this significant conflicting message from the world, you know, as well as, you know, from my father, not directly. Right. But that I didn't really know what to do with it. But as I grew older, right, you know, this pain inside this difficulty, like the first thing that I remember, and you hear this from like a lot of uh, famous comedians, right? They came, they, their comedy comes from a very deep, painful place. Right. right. And I remember it like it was yesterday. One of my earliest recollections, I was in second grade. I just gone to a new school and we were sitting around in a circle and they said, like, we're introducing ourselves. And my name is, I said, my name is Phil, but my friends call me Tweety Bird. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but I said it, but it got a laugh. <laughs> I was like, holy, that's it. I can get people to like me and accept me and I can feel okay by getting those things. Right. And that's how I developed my sense of humor, my personality, by like really formulating it from that place of pain. But throughout my life, you know, it's like, again, because I wasn't that star athlete, I had to find other ways of becoming who I was. And I didn't really know what that was. Like I was a chameleon. I could go into any group of people. Right. Um, specifically in high school. And like I was friends with everybody, like the popular kids, the nerds the sports guys, the people of color, like it didn't matter. Like I would be able to jump around and formulate my personality to be able to fit there because I didn't really know who I was. So when we talk about my family background, like I was extremely fortunate. I had a lot of great, great like uh, values instilled in me of donating time, donating resources, right? You know, I, I worked, you know, with my parents' church, you know, volunteering, cooking omelets for all the women on, uh, you know, Mother's Day and things like that. So I was really formed with this really great value system, but it wasn't until I started utilizing substances that I started to violate that. But one of the biggest things that I got from my childhood was that I was taught that as long as my public life was okay, it didn't matter what I did in my private life. So I could still drink and drug and use these things and do other X, Y, or Z as long as I got decent grades, as long as I played sports as long as I didn't really get in trouble. And that was kind of a message that was like, not directly told to me, but that I perceived from the world around me. Right. But when it comes back to the family system stuff, of course we all have, right. You know, one of the things I like to say as clinicians is like, nobody gets out of childhood unscathed, right. There's no such thing as perfect parenting, right. The big movement now is good enough parenting, right. Because we're all going to have, difficulties. We're all going to have something. It's just a matter of like the level that some of these problems manifest themselves into. Right. 
but when I, you know, the thing is like when I go back and look at my history, yeah, there's really not much heavy, heavy stuff. It was just like the way that I perceived the world and the way that I felt that the world perceived me. So it was much more of an internal struggle as opposed to, you know, the stories that we hear of people being emotionally abused, sexually abused, physically abused, right? That I can't go back and put my finger on one specific event that like determined the rest of my development. All right. Thank you for sharing that, man. That was mm -hmm. deeply vulnerable and personal. Um, and I think that you're modeling exactly who you want your clients to be mm -hmm. by doing it yourself. And trying to, it's funny yeah. as I was listening to you, as I was listening to you, I was like, dude, he's talking about me <laughs> because I was always told I was a girl because I was so emotional or so this or so that, because I always had big feelings too. And I didn't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. But conversely, I was also an athlete. So like I could go play football and I could go play basketball and like dominate. And then still I could cry if, you know, I saw a, a dog or a puppy that was cute. So it was like, <laughs> I was like trying to find my way because I had so much going on and I didn't have any emotionally mature caregivers or people around me, you know, everybody ran from feeling their feelings. So I felt mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that in, in and of itself was traumatic for me because I didn't know how to fit in or where to be or who to be. And because trauma affects everyone according to what they can handle, you know, your nervous system learns what it can do, what it can handle, who you should be. And, you know, that anxiety starts to kick in. And, and I think that the anxiety is what we try to avoid so bad because it's so uncomfortable, which leads to the substances, which yep. leads to the addictions, which leads to all those things. Any ways that we can find a way to not feel what's in our bodies, we will find. I mean, people do it with food, with sex, with shopping, with gaming, right? I mean, I even, you know, even within the spiritual realm, right? We have things called spiritual bypassing, right? Mm -hmm. so where people won't allow themselves to experience pain and they'll just hand it over or like go around it, excuse me, through some type of spiritual practice, right? There was a time where I was right. using meditation as a form of avoidance, Right just going into these deep meditative states and just, you know, almost like going into like a, you almost feel high if you, you know, really mm -hmm. dig into meditation. I was using that as an avoidance tactic, as opposed to just sitting with my feelings and trying mm -hmm. to navigate them, which was difficult because I never was taught how to do that. And that's exactly what I try to teach my guys because we're never taught that we're even taught to have feelings and emotions and these things that are human is wrong. Right. Because it's, you're the right. same thing. Right. If we express this other side of our humanity, which is feelings and emotions, which is crying, which is having a difficult time, we're told that we're a girl or a sissy or a bunch of other right. phrases I'm not going to use right now. Right. And that's by far the worst thing that could potentially happen to us as young guys, because then we are ostracized from the group. Right. That's where that shame phobia really gets instilled in us. Because if we're like, you know, our manhood is precarious. Manhood can be taken away at any time, right? The man card, right? right? With females or the feminine side, that doesn't happen, right? You know, a man, a, a female puts on a business suit. She's can be, especially now in 2023, can be really perceived as empowered, right? She's not less feminine for that. 
But if a man puts on a dress and goes to work, oh, no, 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 that's a major violation, right? And that's why, you know, Liz Plank and a lot of other people in the men's world call it like a really unfinished gender revolution, right? We have to be able to pull these things in on ourselves. And the biggest aspect of it is, is actually helping guys to come into settings like this or in men's groups or just out in society and say like, hey, it's okay. You're allowed to feel these things. And I think times are changing pretty significantly around that. Um, but there is a ton of work still to do. Ton of work. Ton of work. Ton of work. I'm so glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that you see like common issues with your guys that um, are your clients? So um, uh, clinically, like some heavy clinical terminology or just more general struggles that they're having? Just general struggles. I mean, one of the. Yeah. I mean, the biggest stuff really comes down to just trying to navigate life and its difficulties by navigating life is difficulties, relationship issues, really trying to navigate the feelings and emotions that are inside and finding healthy ways of actually getting them out. That's Mm -hmm. arguably if I could wrap it up in one big aspect, because that encapsulates the substance abuse right? The communication and difficult uh, relationship strains that I see with my guys and, and Victoria, my colleague, she's a couple counselor that works for me. Um, you know, the, the stress and the, you know, really, well, cause men were allowed to be stressed. We're not allowed to be anxious or depressed. So every single guy comes in <laughs> saying that he's stressed out. Right. And then I slowly help them pull it apart and suss them out and slowly start to say, and Hey, like, maybe this is anxiety or like, Hey, I mean, this, you know, I might be wrong here, but this kind of feels like sadness, right? Or like maybe I'll even use the D word depression and I'll slowly ease them into that because that's what you have to do with men, right? We have to approach men from a different standpoint than we normally do. But a lot of it comes down to this idea that they're not allowed to be fully human. They're not allowed to have these feelings and these emotions and it gets pushed down, right? Or if they are like really experiencing heavy stuff, I got to figure it out on my own. I got to be a real man, right? I got to be, I got to be, I got to man up. I got to be a real man, right? I got to figure this stuff out of my own, tough it out, put your boots on, go to work, dig deep, just push it down. So a lot of that is like the overall mentality there. And then it's going to bubble up and manifest into like all the standard things that we therapists see, you know, substance abuse, overworking, poor balance, you know, difficulty with the family and the kids, you know, uh, you know, uh, physical stuff, headaches, chest pains, aches and pains in the body, all that stuff can be really, you know, depending if it's like an actual injury, come back to some type of manifestation of some, like some emotional state that they're in. But a lot of times, like in my practice specifically, uh, it's relationship issues, substance use, people who have already identified that they're experiencing stress or anxiety and coming in, Right. Um, And then also I work with a lot of guys who just are not happy. Right. Life is okay. Life is okay. They're making money. They have the wife, they have the kids, but something is off. And they can't put their finger on it. And they're like, I get phone calls from guys, right? Nine, eight times out of 10, the house is burning down. She's got one foot out the door. I just got a DUI. I lost my job. I got arrested. 
you know, my doctor said, if I don't get this under, you know, control, I'm going to have a heart attack. That's most of the time. The other side of it is guys calling me who like really want to do a little bit of work. Like, Hey man, I've had your card on my desk for six months. My wife's been sending me your Instagram reels like once every two weeks. You know, I picked up the phone to call you three or four times and hung up. I got guys that call schedule and then cancel. It's all these things because they still have this mentality that they need to do it on their own. They need to be a real man and navigate it that way. So I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of jumped around a little bit, but. No, you did. You did. It was one thing that you said that um, stood out to me. And that is that the word stress, I think, or stressed out. It's kind of like thrown out there as a just buffer for yep. everything. Yep. And as soon as you said it, I started thinking about it. Like, you know, there's been times people ask me, oh, what's going on? Oh, you know, I'm just stressed out. And that is just so that I can say something without having to really discuss or feel or say what's really going on, you know? 100%. And then... When I thought about that, I said, okay, why? Um, and then that that was one of the questions I have for you. Every day we put on brave faces, we suppress our struggles, we we are suffering silently in pain. Why? Because we need to be real men. We're not allowed to struggle, right? If we and the thing is like even on my website, my opening line, like on the top of it, says like asking for help is a strength, it's not a weakness. For most of us being raised, right, vulnerability is synonymous with weakness. If I'm vulnerable, I'm weak. So to say I'm having a tough time or stressed out, right, and there's actually a lot of science behind that. Out of UMass, they did a study and they wanted to get like men's groups going for depression. And they named one a men's depression group and they named the other one stresses of life. Which one do you think I signed up for? <laughs> stresses of life stresses of life right because we're allowed to be stressed out we are not allowed to be depressed because if i'm depressed that means that i'm weak and i can't handle my own shit. so what the men's groups that i run i stole that name the, the groups that i run down here are called the stresses of life right because guys were allowed to be stressed and then again i ease them in and then i start to poke them a little bit i'm like yeah man you're depressed it takes time right <laughs> But the other side of it is, is that like when I've, cause I've talked to guys about that, about being, you know, more authentic, right? Someone asks you how you're doing. The response we usually give is like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm stressed. That's like a, that's like when you, you're out of office and you put your autoresponder on your email. <laughs> yeah. It's not it, even an answer to the question. It's not. Plus, it's also most of the time extremely inauthentic. But the the the, the challenge I get on that from guys is like, well, I'm supposed to tell everybody that like, you know, my wife's cheating on me and blah, 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 like whatever. I'm like, no. Right. You don't have to dump all your stuff out on other people. You don't have to tell them the fact that like, you know, you're feeling really stressed and anxious and depressed because you're having erectile dysfunction. Or that like you hate your job or that like you're having money problems, like whatever it might be. But we can be more authentic with it. But the thing is that the, the, we have never been taught to actually put our finger on what we're experiencing. Right. And the clinical term for this is normative male alexithymia. It's a mouthful. Right. But <laughs> eight seven to 10 guys that I see in my practice suffer from this, right? 
So to give a little background, alexithymia is not a diagnosis, but it's more of a grouping of symptoms, right? So it's not a formal diagnosis in the DSM, but we'll see this presentation with a lot of different types of uh, diagnoses, right? Elect people who truly experience alexithymia are completely disconnected from what they're experiencing inside. They're going to appear wooden, shut down, you know, lack of facial expressions, a whole bunch of other things, right? So with normative male alexithymia, it's not normative as in it's normal. It's just from a statistical standpoint, right? We see it so often we can say that it's normative. It's these men who have this difficulty actually experiencing and identifying what they're, what's going on inside, right? So when I speak to you know, couples or when Victoria, my colleague, speaks to couples, right? We talk about how like if, and I'm going to talk about just cisgender heterosexual relationships here. The female partner goes to the guy and pours her heart out, right? And the guy's is kind of like, I'm sorry, right? The female can get angry. Like, why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you expressing yourself? Tell me how you feel, right? But guys who have this normative male exothymia go through this process of not being able to know what they're do- what's happening to them. They're not able, they don't have the emotional intelligence that females right, had their entire life of being able to identify and express emotions, we didn't get that. So we become these grown men with all of these things happening inside because we are human and not be able to actually put our finger on that it is. So it's a hell of a lot easier. Like if I'm really like experiencing anxiety and having physical manifestations or my heart's racing, or my mouth is dry or my stomach's upset or, you know, I'm really depressed, right? I'm not going to be able to say that, hey, I'm feeling depressed because I'm hurt. Yeah, man, I'm good. Yeah, man, I'm all right. I'm getting by, right? And so a lot of the work that I do with guys is actually installing that in them, installing that ability to go into their bodies, identify what the physical sensations are, where it's heavy or where the pain is, whether it's sharp, dull, heavy, light, but then also use this tool, which is a feelings wheel. This is by far one of the most important tools that I use with men, right? Because in the middle of it, it has some of the big ones, sad, happy, angry, bad, right? So most of the times, you know, I'll get into a session with a guy like, all right, man, like what's going on today? How are you feeling today? Okay, well, he's not a feeling. Let's explore that, pull it apart, right? Bad, okay. So I'd say, pick up the feelings wheel. And they're like, (sighs) (laughs) I feel their pain. (laughs) And I'm like, because you go from bad and then it goes out to the second level and then to the third, right? So bad. They're like, all right, bored, busy, stressed, tired. All right, I'm feeling stressed. Okay. So right there, so-and-so. We went from busy to bad to stressed. Right. Do you agree that feeling bad and stressed are two different things? Yeah. Okay. Pull stressed out again. Out of control or overwhelmed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I go, okay, let's pause for a second. Right. You first initially identified that you were feeling ready. Then we went to bad. Then we went to stressed. And now you identified that you're feeling overwhelmed. Does overwhelmed feel true to you? Does that feel right? Yes. Okay. 
I want you to lock that in. I want you to put that in here that the feeling that you're experiencing right now is being overwhelmed. Because what I'm really doing in that moment is installing that emotional intelligence to be able to put their finger on what they're experiencing and put something that actually is accurate onto it. Because if they're feeling like, let's say if we're talking about like uh, activities, coping techniques, right? Self-care, whatever it might be. If they're feeling shitty, they might have a whole variety of things that they could do, right? Some of them are actually not great, right? Like drinking, drugging, sex, et cetera, et cetera. But if they're feeling overwhelmed, the things that they're going to be able to do for that, right, are going to be much more targeted to what they're experiencing. So if I have a guy who's feeling overwhelmed, let's say with his work schedule, life, et cetera, et cetera, right? We might say, he's like, oh man, I'm so, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I have this project I got to work on, you know, blah, blah, I got to go, I got to get my kids softball tonight. And then I got to do this. I got this phone call. I'm like, okay, pause for a second, right? Would it be possible for you to talk to the wife to, you know, maybe give you the night off because you're really feeling overwhelmed and say like, hey, can you take the kid there tonight? I need some time to myself. Do you think that'd be something that might be beneficial? Oh yeah, maybe, maybe a night. Oh, yeah, man, I can kick it. I can breathe. Maybe I can get a workout in. Like, okay. So let's talk about how we can communicate that to the wife. So in that thing of just going from feeling I'm going to be able to go to a point of them being able to, one, identify what they're experiencing, two, work on communication skills in order to be able to actually say that to their wife, who is going to be most of the time a safe partner to do so. So they're going to be able to get vulnerable, but not like, you know, going to another guy, right? Not looking, you know, going to the guy at the gym, be like, hey, man, feeling really overwhelmed today, right? Which would be a major (laughs) violation, of what we're talking about. So it's a safe person. (laughs) We're talking about identifying what they're experiencing. We're going to be able to communicate that, but then also they have the experience of, Oh, I can say no to things. I can take a break. I can practice self-care and fill my cup up kind of thing. Right? So the thing is like, why we do that is because we don't know how to, but then when we talk about that vulnerability aspect or being able to actually identify what we're having and then take the corrective action, we might be able to install this thing of where it's like, oh, week down the road when they're outside a session, oh, this is... and then I have them pull out their phones because I send them all this. Oh, man, I'm feeling, oh, yeah, I'm feeling overwhelmed again. All right, what can I do to kind of take a step back? How can I breathe? Or what, what techniques can I use? Can I, someone I can talk to about this? What, what thing can I do besides just shoving it down and keep going? Right. So that's a big aspect of the why outside of this man code or the socialization process that we've been developed in. But then also get to the point of, you know, oh, okay, maybe I can identify what I'm experiencing. Maybe I can do this. It's scary and uncomfortable. But then over time, we do it more and more and more. Yeah, man, I'm filled today. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Cool. Good stuff, man. Is there anything else on that feelings wheel you might be experiencing, right? Because after working with guys for, you know, a couple of years on this, they're able to come in and put their finger on what they're experiencing pretty quickly, right? It's a beautiful thing to see, right? Because then outside in their yeah, life, awesome. yeah, they're able to actually take the, the right action and really change their lives, right? But again, it's hard to navigate 
you know, if someone asks you on the street or at work or something, I'm like, hey, man, how you feeling? And say that you're having, yeah, I'm having a tough time. Right. But it's okay. You know, I'm doing what I got to do. I'm giving myself some grace and some space. Right. Because then some people might be like, well, what? That was weird. Right. But it's much more, authentic, it's much <laughs> right. more authentic to us, you know, but we have to balance that because we don't want to just dump stuff on other people. Right. That's a, that's a boundary violation with them. Right. Hey man, how you doing? Oh, dude, thank you for asking me, man. My wife's busting my butt like this, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, Hey man, like, listen, dude, I was just getting a cup of coffee. I got, I got the Johnson account to work on, man. Like, <laughs> and just, and just right. like dip out. Right. So we have to balance that yeah, out. Right. Man. But then also be mindful about who we're sharing these things with. Right. right. We're still able to identify. Oversharing. Right. Yeah. And that's a boundary violation. Right. Exactly. We can't do that. Exactly. Unless if let's say something healthy would look like, you know, let's say, you know, one of your, you know, work friends or work wife or work husband comes up, whatever, and says like, Hey man, how you, how's it going? Right. Hey man, I'm having a tough time. Do you got a minute? Is it okay if I share some things with you? That gives them the opportunity to then respect their boundaries, right? Because they might be running around. They might have their own stuff and they'll be like, Hey, listen, I don't have time right now, but I want to be there for you. Let me, let's do this after lunch. Let's do this at lunch. So you reached out for help. You respected someone else's boundaries, right? Instead of just cornering someone in the coffee room, just dumping on them. Right. right? Um, but yeah, that's a difficult one because most guys be like, man, I'm not talking about that with anybody. It's it's more, it's, it's difficult enough to get them to talk to their partner or some of their closest friends, let alone actually someone else who they might not feel safe with. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's legit navigating because if you don't know how to express what you're feeling, then you don't know how to deal with it or treat it. So it's basically walking around with a blindfold on trying to do the best that you can and then wondering why things aren't going good or why you're stressed out, you know? And mm-hmm. then that could lead to what we see as the proverbial midlife crisis for men. <laughs> you know, you turn 50, you buy the convertible, yep. you dye your hair, you start dating the younger women. Um, and people think that, you know, those are the signs of a midlife crisis, which they can be. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a lot of other signs that we may not pick up on because we're just not in tune with what mental health is and what mental health um, looks like if someone isn't having a, a good time with right. you know their mental health. Right. So what I wanted to ask is, what could be signs of a true midlife crisis aside from what we know in society? I mean, the thing is about yes, there's the societal. Hey, you know, I'm gonna turn this light out. Bugging me. Um, yeah, the societal. Hey, you know, so and so started. I mean, one of the big ones now is like TRT right? Testosterone replacement therapy, right? Guys are getting older. They, you know, want to get huge and get big, et cetera, which is nothing wrong with it unless, you know, you're doing it at the appropriate levels. Um, but yeah, buying the convertible, getting a divorce, you know, uh, you know, switching jobs, whatever it might be. But a lot of the things that like, again, this is something that a lot of therapists are not trained in, but there are actually specific crises that these guys go through. So sometimes the approach therapeutically is going to be the same for some of the other, you know, presentations or issues that we see with our people, but we're just not conceptualizing it the right way, right? Because there's the crisis of values, 
right? There's the crisis of, you know, the kids getting older, the crisis of the role, right? The role reversal, whether it's with old elderly parents to where now I'm the caretaker or the fact that now the kids are out there in the world and they're not adhering to the vision that I had for them. They've become a nightmare themselves, right? You know, they're, uh, I failed as a parent, right? There's also the struggles within the intimate relationship with their partner. You know, you've been married for 30 years, our bodies start changing, the relationship changes significantly. There's all of these things that can really be at the root. I mean, like any of those that I just mentioned could be at the root of the convertible and the younger partner, right? Sure. But again, it's the way that people go and try to solve these problems for them, the problems for themselves, you know, not, you know, being honest about their aging process, being afraid of their own mortality, right? We see that a lot with guys whose parents pass away or are getting sick, right? Um, or just getting older. They're like, holy, shit, I'm going to lose them one day. And then they start to be like, oh, oh, I'm getting older. That means that I'm going to die someday. And then they panic and think that, again, changing the external world is going to change how they feel inside. But these external changes that we make in any aspect are just going to be sometimes slapping a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. It might make the boo-boo feel better for a little while, but ultimately that problem is still going to be in there. We got to do some deeper work to pull that out, right? So to say, like, what are some examples of what it looks like? It can be a ton of things, career switches, right? These guys who, you know, like this midlife crisis of like, they've been working for the same company for 20, 30 years and made it to middle or maybe like mid-level higher management. But they're like, oh my God, I'm never going to be the CEO or I'm never going to be able to be the millionaire that I wanted to be when I was younger. And they start to really geek out. So it can look like a host of other things outside of that cliche, you know, red convertible, all that type of stuff, you know, younger chicks, et cetera, because that's just going to be the manifestation of, again, the deeper problem, right? You see guys drinking more, you know, exercising more, right? Whatever it might be doesn't matter what the actual examples are from it, but with a clinician who's trained in men's issues the way that I have, which most people haven't, right? They might go back and say like, oh, you're drinking because of this, or you're drinking because of that, instead of actually getting to the root of the problem. It's like, you know, it's like you have a weed in your lawn. Yeah, if we just keep cutting this thing, if I just keep cutting it, it's going to grow back, but I'm never going to get to the root of it. So a lot of times, like, we'll talk about the drinking, be like, hey, man, you just got to stop drinking. Hey, you got to stop that. So a lot of people will treat the symptom of whatever it is as opposed to getting down to the root of the problem, right? Because of some guy, like, if he's having a midlife crisis and he's, like, really, let's say it's the, you know, the value, uh, the crisis of values of, like, hey, you know, I'm no longer, you know, this could be personal, religious, you know, political, you know, and they come in and they're just drinking like a fish. And I just approach it like, hey, man, you got to stop drinking. It might manifest itself in another way in spending or exercise or whatever it might be. I'm just kind of like, again, cutting over that weed besides actually getting down to the root of it to where they can have this full and like content life. I don't say happy. I believe that happiness is a fleeting state that we'll go up into and then we'll come back down into our baselines. Um, but we want, I really help my guys shoot for an overall contentment 
life can be difficult and everything else like that. But yeah, man, I'm content. I'm okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with that because happiness is fleeting. Yes. Um, and especially if you're chasing maybe a feeling that you had from a vacation or, you know, a date or, you know, the, you, you, when you try and replicate happiness, you're, you're trying, in my opinion, to replicate a feeling that you had in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you may be, like, so for instance, like if you went on a vacation, it was an amazing vacation and you go back to that same spot, you may not have that same experience. Right. So I like the fact that what you're striving for is contentment, because if that's the baseline, I feel like you guys are going to be good. Yeah, because the, the idea is, again, again, we are trained as men to get our self-esteem externally. It's either mm-hmm. attribute-based, performance-based, or others-based, right? Attribute-based is, hey, I'm going to be good enough if I have the six-pack, right? I'll be good enough if I can put this bench up, right? I'll be, you know, uh, good enough if my, you know, my chick is hot enough kind of stuff, right? The performance-based is, again, like my self-esteem is what I can provide as a man, right? I've been working with this guy, um, married, kids, the whole thing, just got a new job, making like 170, 180. And he came to me a couple, like two weeks ago. He's like, yeah, man, it's not enough. I'm not doing enough. I got to do more. I got to do more, right? Because he's looking at the fact of what his value and his worth as a man is based on the money that he can bring home, right? So what I did with him was that we talked about like, hey, man, how else are you showing up as a man? Right. So the fact that you, you know, coach these teams or you volunteer your church, you're doing all these things like that. None of that matters. None of that matters is your value or who you are as a person. Well, no, it does. Like, okay, well, why are we not putting energy into that? Why are we not putting weight in those things? Mm. And then the third one is others based. Right. So we see this a lot with codependents, the nice guys, love addicts, things like that, is that my value is based on what you believe that I am. So I see this a lot. And I actually struggled with this in my early sobriety before I did some deeper work, is that if I was in a relationship, right, if she wanted to be with me, that meant that I was good enough. Right. So it wasn't much more about whether this person would be a good fit for me. Or if I would be able to meet their needs, or they'd be able to meet my needs, which I had no idea what they were within a relationship at that time. Right? It's just about the fact that if she wanted to be with me, then I was good enough. Right? And that's the way externally. But we need to real self-esteem comes from inside out. So the thing is that you're right. Like if it is that contentment, like if I can be comfortable in my own skin for you know however long, without reaching for that other thing outside of me to make me feel better then that's going to be what we're going to shoot for because ultimately what this comes down to is that it's an inside job. We need to do that Mm -hmm. internal work and then that will manifest out in contentment and happiness and peace in our outside world as well. For the most part, we can't stop the world, you know, life from happening. We're going to be throwing curveballs, but that's really going to aid us in the way that we actually approach these curveballs that life throws at us. Right. Yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. I love that you said it's an inside job because that um, is so true. No matter what you have or what you do, if you don't do some internal work, nothing is ever going to be good enough. Right. I mean, I use, I use like, like, uh, you know, examples of clients that I see, but then also like, I mean, like look at celebrities, right? 
They have all right. the fame, all the money, all the power, right? But yet they're still overdosing. They're still going to rehab, right? They still have relationship right. struggles because they're human, right? right? It's human. Chasing those things as these external solutions to an internal problem might make you feel better, right? Money solves money problems. Right. Trust me, listen, there's a curve. I think it's after like 80 or $85,000 that like your quality of life doesn't significantly improve. Your happiness does not significantly improve. But we think it's like, ah, oh, man, if only I'm at 250, man, if I only make 300, then my life will be better. I'll be able to do all these things like that. Got to do the no, internal sir. work, right? I know a lot of people mm -hmm. who have significant amounts of money who are miserable. I know people who have mm -hmm. almost no, nothing, right? They're getting by, but they're content. They're happy, right? Because right. they did the internal work. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. With your practice, what is it that you wish and desire to accomplish most? From a business standpoint or from like a societal change standpoint? Because those, those might be a little different. As a clinician. Ah, okay. With, with the guys that you work with. I want to implement, influence them at an individual level to affect change in their life so that they can go out there in the world and be different people. I want them to be able to do that internal work, right? Because this whole idea of challenging the traditional idea of masculinity, right? A lot of the, the popular term now is toxic masculinity, right? Within the men's world, mm. we don't like that term. We like to use problematic masculinity. And the issue behind that one real quick is that most of the time our young guys and us men have heard like the term masculinity is an evil thing. It's bad right? It's not. The whole idea is that we want to, you know, if you call anybody toxic, they're never going to want to come in for help. So we use the term problematic masculinity to really help that. And the whole idea is that I really want to, you know, with my platform, right? Because I have big goals for the future. I want to speak, you know, I want to do my doctorate. I want to do a TED talk. I want to write books. I want to just anywhere I can talk about this stuff just to normalize the experience of being like, hey, I get it. It's okay. You're allowed to be human. You're allowed to struggle to get more men into therapy, to provide them a space where they could be authentic and real so that they can go out there and influence them and the uh, other people in their lives, whether it's their sons, their daughters, the people around them. I've got guys that I've worked with where their friends have come to them and be like, hey, man, what's up, man? You're different. How you doing? And these guys have gotten to a point to feel comfortable and be like, hey, man, like, I didn't go to therapy. Oh, no. No, no way. What is it, man? What? I'm like, no, nah, man. Like, I've been talking to this guy or, you know, I've been talking. I've been going to this men's group. And, yeah, man, I just just trying to talk about stuff. I feel good. Feeling better. And they're like, oh, man. All right. And they come back maybe like two weeks later and be like, hey, man, like. <laughs> You got who's the guy you're talking to, right? You got that guy's card or something? Like, mm -hmm. You know, it's like he's expensive. Like, what's the deal? Is he, is he cool? Blah, blah. And the thing is, like, again, it's just like, and that's why, like, I'm I really try to be authentic, and I'm not wearing a suit and tie. Like, my tattoos are out. Like, I'm I try to be real because I want guys to really see that, like, oh, this guy's the dude, right? This guy's could be one of the homies, right? But then I'm also an expert and educated in these things. So if you say like, what's the goal? get more men into therapy. 
right? Get these guys in, normalize the fact that we're allowed to be humans with feelings and emotions. We are allowed to struggle, but we do not have to struggle alone. I absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love that. Um, One last question I want to ask you. Run it. For those who may be struggling and who don't know how to sit with their big feelings or, or are uncomfortable with their emotions and they want to talk to somebody, but you know, just like you said, they, they're nervous to, to take that first step. Mm -hmm. What would you say to encourage them? I mean, I'm kind of sarcastic, right? I would, I'd ask them to ask themselves like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I don't want to sit with these feelings. My life is the way that it is. I keep approaching it from this standpoint. Nothing's changing. Like my sarcasm would be like, all right, how's that working out for you? Is it working? No. Okay, man. Well, maybe let's see if you can do something about it. It's the same idea, right? Like I have on my website, that metaphor of like, if you have a broken arm, right? Are you just going to go into the garage and just duct tape it up with some pieces of wood? No, you're going to go to the doctor. You're going to go to the hospital and they're going to fix it. It's the same stuff with the stuff inside of us. We cannot navigate these things alone. As boys, as men, we were never taught this. But the idea is, is that like, it's, yeah, it's scary to come in and call somebody. But again, that's why like I have the social media that I do. That's why I have the website that I do. Anybody who calls me, I'm going to either pick up the phone most of the time, leave me a voicemail. I will text you back. I will get back to you. Right. But that's the thing. I'll, I'll get on the phone with guys and be like, what's up, dude? Right. It's not this formal process. It's the whole idea is that like, it's okay to come in here. It's scary. It's uncomfortable, but so is everything that's worth it in life. And it's possible. Right. I think I have right there. I don't know if it's going to be mirrored, but that's as better as possible. Right. There mm-hmm. is a solution. You don't have to reinvent the wheel or do it on your own. But just reaching out and asking for help can be a massive change. When I talk about this, I always tell the story of one of the guys in my men's group. Right. Because I run there's two men's groups. I run the Thursday night group. He came in and was very quiet. Right. I could tell he was really, really uncomfortable. Right. Again, because coming into a men's group, it's like, holy shit, I'm going to sit around with a bunch of dudes and talk about my feelings. <laughs> right. That's a complete violation of everything that we've been taught to do. But over, he came back the next week and he came back the next week and he came back the next week. And probably about a month in, he shared about his experience day one coming into group. About how he sat in his car almost shaking with anxiety how his heart rate on his watch was about 140, right? Petrified to come upstairs and into the group, right? Now he's open, he's comfortable, and he actually started to tear up and get emotional because he didn't feel alone. He was surrounded by a group of guys, myself included, who have gone through struggles. Some of the guys in the group, their lives are still brutal. Some of the guys in the group have done a lot better and they've been with me for a long time, but still come because they want to help other guys. And they normalize the fact that like, yeah, dude, welcome to the show. We get it. Right. And it forms this normality of like, hey, this is a safe space for me. 
So it's terrifying walking through the door. There's tons of research, right? Like I said, I presented on all this stuff on last Friday, three hours of research. And most of it was around why guys don't want to come to therapy, but then also as clinicians, because it was training for them about how they can approach guys differently, right? We have to approach men where they're at. And for me, that's really about creating an environment to where it's like, yeah, dude, I get it. It's terrifying. It's hmm. sketchy. I, I get it. But how do we just come in? Let's just shoot this for a bit. Let's get to know each other. It's not about coming in day one and dumping your trauma on the table, right? A lot of times guys are very problem oriented. Like, okay, here's a problem. What's the solution? I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Easy. <laughs> right? Easy. We got we to gotta ease into this thing, right? We got to go easy with it. Because the whole idea is that we want to build a relationship. We want to build a rapport and start to get into these things and let them know, like through that experience of talking to me and being in the room of like, oh, okay, this is okay. I'm allowed to experience this. I'm allowed to feel this. Right. And I think that if there's anybody out there who's struggling, I want them to hear that message of it's all right, man. We're human beings. We're allowed to experience these things. I understand that you get the message that we're not allowed to, but at least in here and in my men's group and in Victoria's office where she does like individuals and couples work, right? It's okay. Our couples experience is different because she's also, you know, becoming an expert in men's issues. Not the same. She's not automatically going to side with your chick, right? We're going to challenge you, but we'll also be explaining right. to this chick like, hey, this is why he can't communicate with you. Cut him some slack. Right? You're asking him to do something that for the past 40, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of his life, he was told not to do. Nice. Right? Yeah. But there are therapists that are knowledgeable about these things that can be like, hey, man, it's okay. And I can almost guarantee you that a lot of guys in the circles of their friends have either been to therapy, talked to someone or anything else and asked for help. We just don't talk about it. We just don't talk about it. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. But it's okay. It oh, is. Sorry, you're doing great. It is. Just get to let's you're doing great. <laughs> just ask for a little bit of help and we can, you know, dig into it and you can have a better life. Yeah, it's scary. It's pity. I get it. I've done it for years myself. But it's all right, man. Let's 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 get into it. Let's walk through the fire. Let's walk into the dark, scary woods. I know the path. I've been there. Mm. right and i'll end with this that right part. the way that i describe therapy is that like i am walking along a dark scary uneven path in the woods with my guys right i've walked paths similar to this countless times i've worked with thousands of clients over the years right when i worked in substance abuse and treatment and now also in my private practice i stand behind them with a flashlight over their shoulder i will show them the path right? They have to walk it. I'm going to teach them the skills in order to walk that path. Um, I might pull you a little bit. I might poke you with a sharp stick in your back, but I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do, but I'm going to show you the path. You got to show up and walk it, right? They have the courage. They have the strength. They have all these things with inside of themselves. I'm just going to illuminate the path and let them walk it. And it's whatever path they want, right? You know, it's whatever path they want. It's not about changing who you are. It's not about, you know, losing your masculinity or becoming a sissy or a wuss. 
It's just trying to pull in additional sides of our humanity to where we can still be these warriors, right? Still have all the masculinity, still, you know, be these big, strong guys, but then also pull in that other side that we've been missing the whole time. So they have to walk mm-hmm. the path, but I'll show it to them. That's awesome, bro. I love that analogy too. Thank you. Um, I've 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 loved this conversation. I think we need to have so many more of these. I, there's so much that we can learn by just getting curious with how we're feeling, you know. And I know you have your your feelings wheel, and that may seem juvenile or childlike. But if we never learned how to do it at an early age, then we gotta. We got to go back and do the work. This thing has go changed lives. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is how I learned how to do this stuff in therapy, right? I'm not reinventing the wow. wheel. This is not dude breathe intellectual yeah. property, right? But doing that type of stuff, you're right. It does seem silly and juvenile and guys go, <sighs> but <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's interesting to see how like, oh man, no, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling invalidated. I'm feeling unseen by my partner. I do all this work, but she doesn't give me any, you know, validation. Yeah, and they start to experience that. Just being able to put a name with it. Yeah. It it it, it declouds and declutters all of that stuff inside. It's freeing, right? It doesn't mean you yeah. have to go screaming from the like the rooftops, but even internally being able to actually feel <laughs> this stuff, it's actually it's great. Uncomfortable, yeah. but great. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> You got to walk or you got to crawl before you can walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Phil. Well, I appreciate you, brother. This has been great, man. Um, where can people find you online and on social media? Sure. So the name of my practice is Dude Breathe Counseling. You can find me on Instagram uh, at uh, Dude Breathe Counseling. My website is DudeBreatheCounseling.com. Um, my partner, uh, Victoria, hers is at therapy.soflow. Um, and she's the couples counselor that works with me and also runs one of the men's groups. So it's really the two of us. And I have some plans to expand out further. But if you just Google dude breathe in South Florida, it'll come up. There's no one else with that name. There's no one else doing that type of stuff. Right. So that's a simple Google search, um, Instagram, Facebook website. You can send me a letter. We can send smoke signals back and forth for a couple weeks before you actually decide to come in. There's no pressure. I just want to be here to be helpful to guys. I got you. And I appreciate what you do and the fact that you are holding that light over the shoulders of people that are on the path. Man. Of so course, man. Thank you so much for this. Yep. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for being vulnerable, for leading the way. Thank you for who you are, for what you do, and for how you do it. Thank you. And thank you for asking me to do this. You know, I always, um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and that there's other people out there trying to get different messages out and really normalizing these things because I think it needs to happen a lot more. So thank you for the work that you're doing and the platform that you're giving so many of these beautiful people to speak about these things. So thank you.